dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. We all know that leaders need to be strong and bold and brave. We all know that a group's success will depend to a large portion on the success of its leadership. But what happens when leaders aren't successful? Have there ever been saints who have shown us the other side of failure? What can we learn from the stories of leaders, even saints, who may have come up short from time to time? Join me in my first part of the series, where leaders fail. Well, I want to congratulate you for being among the few and the brave who are willing to ask the deep questions about leadership and not be satisfied with just the normal stereotypes that we all have in our minds or that are easy to go with. Uh, You've come here because you want to learn. And for this, I'm very grateful. I want to begin with you a study on the failures of the lead, of leadership in the lives of the saints. And this is obviously a little bit controversial because no one, we, they're not saints because they failed, right? They're saints because they succeeded. <laughs> and no one really feels like being inspired by the stories of, you know, where the saints came up short. Okay. So I'm not interested in doing that either and just kind of pointing out flaws and failures. But what I want to do instead is study what, how the saints responded to those failures. Because I think there's a temptation amongst a lot of us to think, well, obviously the saints being saints were perfect all the time. And being saints, they were leaders all the time. And that's therefore not like me. Because I either fail in my leadership or I fail in my perfection. And therefore the saints are a, a almost like an example too far to reach. I think on the contrary, the saints are inspiring in their perfection, inspiring in their virtues, but that they lived out this perfection and these virtues within what St. Paul calls, right, the the clay vessel that holds the treasure of the, the grace of Christ. And when we look at the clay vessel of the saints, even in leadership, we can see how they coped with their failures and how they coped with their challenges that came their way and maybe draw inspiration from that to do a better job ourselves in following the Lord. This is the whole point of this. And I want to begin with Simon Peter because everything begins with Simon Peter. But let's start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear God, as we study the lives of your great saints, these men and women made holy by your grace, we ask you to shed your grace upon us as well. Help us to follow you, to be the leaders of your own heart, and inspire us, Lord, to dare great things for you and your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. St. John, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All right, so let's start right where we need to start. 
And that is by looking in our own lives as, as leaders and admitting that actually none of us here are perfect. If you think about the different ways that you fail, you could probably come up with a hundred of them. And if you can't, well, your employees sure can. <laughs> Everyone underneath you surely can. You know, it's like that old adage, you know, when you when praise goes down and complaints go up, especially complaints about leadership. It's like everyone's favorite hobby to sit around and say how the leader should be doing better. And, you know, on the one hand, you can understand that because if everyone depends upon the leader, then the leader's own inadequacies are going to, you know, be present and affect dramatically, well, the peace and the comfort of everyone who depends upon them. You, you only hear the board creaking when you stand on it, right? So if you are bearing weight and you have the burden of leadership, well, obviously the consequences of your actions redound and trickle down to everyone underneath you, regardless of how nice you are. And that means that we need to be very painfully aware of our faults. I actually think that one amazing way to become a saint is to actually try, <laughs> But that's a little joke, right? But it comes from C.S. Lewis. He said that the surest way to find out where you come up short in love is to try to actually love. And I think it's the same thing. The, the clearest way to find your faults and failures is to make other people depend upon you and then let them point it out to you. And this means that your leadership can become a great opportunity for your holiness, where you accept the responsibility as hard as it is and as hard as it might be, this is exactly at those same points that you have the grace of light, the grace to be illumined with like a, like a piece of glass held up to the sun and you can see all the cracks that are in that glass. But it's only because it's been held up to the sun. And when God shows you your faults or your, your, the crack lines of your life, it's never to condemn you. It's to make you stronger which means that a humble leader who accepts their, their inadequacies and allows themselves to be scrutinized by their followers, well, in a sense, has been given a great grace. It's almost like the particular judgment of Christ is handed over a little bit earlier to them. And if you allow that, well, then you can grow in virtues in, in ways that other people never could because they were never tested. Right? It's only when you test the metal that you find its weakness. You don't test the metal to find its strength, but by repairing its weakness and strengthening it where it's weak, the metal becomes strong. And you, my friends, have signed up for that incredible testing, which is called leadership. And this is where you find yourself every day and you should be thankful. So what do we do then when we actually see our weaknesses and they're pointed out to us? Well, obviously nobody likes this, and obviously, this is the reason why a lot of leadership even quits. You get to a point of discouragement where you just don't want to go on and keep on admitting your failure. You know, and it's the same if you're a parent, if, you're, if you are a manager, if you're an entrepreneur. Wherever we are, obviously, fail, leadership is about success. And so admitting failure is like saying that you're not a leader, which is like a contradiction of your whole manner of being. You know, you, you don't parent in order to see whether the kids will turn out. <laughs> you know, you parent because the kids depend on you to make it happen. So one of the worst things that we can do as leaders is simply deny the truth of our lack of leadership. We can deny the truth of our failures. 
we can act like somehow because we know that failure is kind of like the death knell that we just therefore will absolutely refuse that it's even possible in our lives. And yet what's remarkable to me is when I look at scripture, I see that the Holy Spirit is right there writing down all of the failures along with the good points when it comes to the saints. And this really is amazing to me. It's almost like God is not afraid that his, fail, that his leaders have some failures. It's almost like God is not afraid that his leaders be imperfect. It's like he actually institutes imperfect people, imperfect men to be his apostles, imperfect women to be his emissaries. This is astounding because we would expect just the opposite. We would say, okay, God's only going to call the few and the proud those who are perfect in order to serve in his army. And in fact, it's just the opposite. I want to learn from this. I want you to be leaders in, after the heart of God, in the ways of God. And so we need to look at this and ask, what is God doing when he allows such flaws to exist? My friends, maybe he's doing his work. This is Father Nathan. I know that many of you listening are looking for a better place to be. You're not happy necessarily with what's going on in the world. You're not happy with where your life is going and you wonder if there's any way to go forward. That's why we started the St. John Leadership Institute in Denver, Colorado. The idea is simple. Move to Denver, live with a community of your peers, earn a master's degree in any subject from any university, and become a saint while doing it. Check us out at stjohnleadershipinstitute.org. You know, amidst all the different characters in the Bible, Simon Peter has won the hearts of so many of us because we see in his own failures, so to speak, in leadership or his own stumbling around, kind of like a, a character that we can relate to. So many people say this, you know, he, he blurts out the wrong responses at the wrong times. He, he sometimes, uh, you know, seems impetuous. He, he says he'll never deny the Lord, then he does. He says he can walk on water, then he falls in. He, you know, and, and there's something charming about that. Uh, because I, th but you know, I wonder what it was like for Simon Peter for everybody else it's kind of fun. We get to look at Simon Peter and smile, you know, but what was it like for Simon Peter to be Simon Peter? I mean, there's a lot of pressure on this guy. He is the rock upon which the church of God will be built by Jesus himself. Talk about being, you know, put in solitude. Could you imagine if Jesus looked at you and then in front of everyone in your family said, upon this person, you know, upon Sally, you are Sally, and upon this rock, I will build my church. You're like, oh, nuts. You know, I was kind of hoping to be able to retire somewhere in Key West and spend the rest of my days, you know, quietly watching the waves lap upon the shore. No, no, no. Now you're going to be the rock upon which I build my church. I mean, Simon Peter now has all the focus on him. And we see that, okay, throughout the whole New Testament, Simon Peter's always listed as first He's always given the greatest charges. He's seen as the apostle, the head apostles by the other apostles. That's without a doubt. You can't even make a case against that. He is the number one guy. Well, think about the pressure that's on him. And therefore, when he makes mistakes, don't you think he was keenly aware? I mean, what kind of metal does this show in the, in the soul of Simon Peter to see a person have all that pressure on them, not live up to expectations, 
and yet keep on going. For me, this is the greatest testimony to his holiness. It's that Simon Peter allowed God to work with him and he never quit, even when his own imperfections were pointed out to him time and time again and written down by the Holy Spirit himself. There are three that I wanted to focus in on today just to kind of show you. I mean, I'm sure there are many more than this, but three examples where Simon Peter was actually shown to be flawed and and where his flaws and faults were written down. This is amazing for all the world and all of time to read. The first is in Matthew chapter 14 when he walks on water. We read, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now I've been there. And when you're in the Sea of Galilee, from the mountaintop, like basically the Mount of Beatitudes, if you want to think of that, but the hills surrounding the sea, you can see the whole lake. So he would have been very easily able to have seen what was going on out there on the water, which means he would have been watching. He would have been watching his apostles. And he says, when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. All right, so if they're leaving the shore, right, and they're going out into the lake, that wind going against them would have been blowing straight into the face of Christ as he's watching them. And along with the wind, any of the noises, the sounds, the voices of the apostles as they're rowing against that strong wind. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But the disciples saw him walking on the sea. They were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of his boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? This absolutely amazing scene, right? It's so famous because it's how we often feel in our own lives. We go into areas where it's impossible or where the risk is so great and yet we find ourselves boxed and we don't know what else to do and so we take those risks and sometimes they don't turn out. I'm so amazed by Simon Peter in this story because he's in a boat which means he's in the only place that's safe and he has the audacity to step out of the boat by his own volition. Lord, if it is you, then command me to go out of the boat. Now, isn't that just a a line for us to remember? Because so many of us want a comfortable Christianity where nothing, no risks are taken and where nothing can ever hurt us. And I'm not quite sure this is the place of the Christian. I think that in the wind and the storms, the leader of Christianity demonstrates something to us here, to walk on the waves Right? Jesus Christ himself is not in the boat. Jesus Christ is outside the boat, on the waves, in the, in the wind. And Simon Peter, leading the apostles, wants to join him there. That's an incredible audacity. I mean, that's a mark of the heart of holiness 
and Simon Peter. The rest of them are cowering in that boat saying, we're, you know, it's a ghost. Jesus is there. You know, we were seeing ghosts as we're rowing across the, 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 the lake in a wind in the middle of the night. This is very uncomfortable. And Peter wants to walk on the water with Jesus. It's like there's a, on, on the flip side of fear is audacity. And Peter embraces that audacity and steps out on the waves. Now, remarkably, of course, the waves fail him, and Peter begins to sink. And we all know this as the great failure of Peter, and our Lord even says to him, O man of little faith, why did you doubt? You know, but I want to see that that, that that failure is a failure that's on the other side of holiness. Peter dares to risk the failure because of his great love. And we're going to see this happen to, to him again at the Last Supper. What does this show us? Well, it shows us, number one, that those who fail mightily, fail mightily because they dared mightily. And that Jesus wanted Peter to dare. I'm not saying that we're supposed to be imprudent. I'm not saying we're not supposed to follow good reason and things. But we're also not supposed to live our Christian lives, folks, as if avoiding risk and avoiding failure was the goal. Comfortable Christians who don't bear witness to Jesus and who don't step out of their boat, who stay in the boat in the midst of the storm, I'm not quite sure that's the best way. Sometimes the only way forward is into the waves and into the wind. And, and God bless St. Peter for being willing to do that. Now he fails, and he fails because of his little faith. But would he have even known that he had little faith had he not failed when he walked upon the sea? I mean, the other apostles who stayed in the boat, they all think that they've got great faith. Is that it? You know what I mean? Like, do they have better faith for having never tried? I think Peter's given a great light here. He's given a light that will save him when later on he fails again, this time not in front of the wind and the waves, but at the mockery of a servant girl. And Jesus knows that he's going to fail again. So he allows him this training to say, Peter, when you start to fail, reach out to me and I will save you. The Lord doesn't condemn leaders who fail. The Lord saves them and teaches them so that the next time they can do even better. This is Father Nathan. I know a lot of people are formed in leadership in ways that are very practical and efficient. This is good, of course, but is there something more? Coming to the St. John Leadership Institute in Denver, Colorado, young adults are able to learn not only how to lead effectively, but how to lead in the spirit. Anchoring a master's degree and specific business skills in prayer and spirituality. Find out more at stjohnleadershipinstitute.org. Okay, so the next place we see Simon Peter in his failure, so to speak, is when he denies our Lord. This is the colossal moment, of course, of failed leadership in Peter's life in Matthew chapter 26. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And after a little while, bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you two are one of them, 
for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This is a scene that we all know well. And I think the one that inside of our hearts, we're often very afraid of ourselves, the aptitude of betrayal, but the, the aptitude of betrayal by the number one person in charge. I mean, St. Peter is the head of the apostles. He's the one whom Jesus relied upon, the vicar of Christ on earth. And he denies even knowing Jesus. He denies him three times, twice in the presence of the, the servant girl, which they call the paidiske. Paidiske in Greek, which is the diminutive form for a youth, which means it's, it's like, and oftentimes it's used with reference to slavery. So this was like a, a servant girl who was kept there in bondage, perhaps, but at least was obviously given very menial tasks in the house. And such a one as this makes St. Peter cower. It's not the wind and the waves this time, threats to his life on, uh, by nature, but it is threats to his life by other people. And I wonder if this isn't also the flip side of St. Peter's greatness, because we see it again in Galatians chapter 2, when St. Paul underlines and underscores St. Peter's failure, quote, speak, so to speak, it's in Galatians 2 chapter 11. He says, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. And when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Now that word there is, is, is interesting when it says that he feared the circumcision party. It's actually that very word in Greek. He had a phobia, right? The, 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 the root word to that is, is actual pho phobia, which is fear, the same thing. He had a fear of the circumcision party, just like he had a fear of the servant girl, just like he had a fear of the wind and the waves. You know, fear brings St. Peter down. But I mean, how many of us does fear bring down? I mean, we're afraid of so many things. It's even been said that if you can find a person's fear, you can find the way to control the person. And that dictators, tyrants, or dictating ideologies will be based upon fear. Isn't that what the cancel culture is all about? We find that the number one fear that you could have is to be canceled, and so we're going to threaten you with that cancel in order to make you cower. It goes back to what, remember, Saul Alinsky wrote about when he said in his Rules for Radicals that the power that you have is equivalent to the power that your enemy thinks that you have. Right? Isn't that amazing? So if I can put fear in the heart of my enemy, I can, I can add to my power in overwhelming proportions. And here St. Peter shows us this, that the number one apostle, the person who would bear witness to Jesus Christ after he rose from the dead, could have such base fear as to even deny that he knew Jesus and invoke a curse upon himself and swear that he did not know him, all because of his fear. Now, on the one hand, we can say, gosh, isn't that something? But what I want to underscore is what we can learn from this. Peter three times shows us 
that by looking on the outside at all the risks that he's running and all the threats that have that are out there instead of looking at Jesus we need to look more at the one who calls us than we do at the threats coming from his call this is a constant theme but would St. Peter have known that had he not fallen? Would St. Peter have ever realized that? And remember that this is a man that at the end of his life, when he's being crucified in public, like our Lord in Nero's circus, will actually have the audacity and the beautiful act of love to say, crucify me upside down, for I am not worthy to die in the manner of my Lord. He served Christ admirably. And he was the, the prince of the apostles, raising even a man from the dead, admitting the Gentiles into the church, sending off and blessing and defending St. Paul, presiding over the church throughout her great persecution. I mean, Simon Peter did amazing things for the Lord, but he did them always and keenly aware that he needed to keep his eyes on Jesus. Would he have known that holiness consists in dependency on Christ with as much acuity had he not failed our Lord three times with such anonymity. And here Simon Peter just gives us an incredible example. What, because at each time he was reproved in the eyes of others. St. Luke records Peter's tears. St. Matthew records Peter's tears. Our Lord saw Simon Peter right after he denied him three times. All 12 of the apostles saw him sink into the waters of, of the Sea of Galilee. And St. Paul reproved him to his face when he failed to be, act consistently towards the Jewish converts. And all of this, he fails royally, he fails in the face of other people, and yet his failure becomes his pathway to holiness. And I think here, my friends, is the great lesson. Don't give up the fight. Don't think that because you're an imperfect parent, because your business is not going well, because you've been pointed out in your 360 that actually you're a terrible manager, embrace that. Because when you get to see where you don't succeed, you see the pathway for your future success. Jesus wants to bring you there. Will you have the humility to call out like Simon Peter, Lord, save me, instead of saying, you know what, I can swim all the way to shore. <laughs> he doesn't say that. He lets Jesus pick him up. He lets Jesus restore him. His humility is his salvation. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.